Hi, y'all, and welcome to another episode of History of Networking here on the Networking Collective. Today, we have with us Jordan and Donald and Donnie. Now, you're going to have to keep Donald and Donnie straight in your head. I used to work with these two characters, and we actually had a Don in the team as well. And then we had Twan and Twine. So it was quite entertaining working with all these people. But um, I'll start with Jordan and just ask you how you're doing this morning, Jordan. Oh, I'm doing great. Um, I got a little bit of coffee here and starting to wake up. So we should uh, we should do well we're recording this i think eight o'clock in the morning on a friday so we should all you be put, on our all on our prime here yeah did you did you did you put like a paper thing around your coffee so we don't see what brand it is uh it is starbucks i'm not gonna hide <laughs> it there advertising oh there yeah. you go yeah. so starbucks is sponsoring this show apparently <laughs> <laughs> and donald how are you this morning i'm doing good that's good yeah, you're at the you're at work already. It looks like you're I in am. the office. Yeah, yeah, see, there you go. It's beer and cookies day at Cumulus because it's Friday. So come on over. <laughs> <laughs> and Donnie, how are you this morning, man? You know, oh, doing, you doing well. You look older than last time I saw you. White. <laughs> it, it, it's it's the white. You know, I, I spent wearing black so long. My my beard is rebelling. I was gonna say know. it's it's a good contrast with the black though. It really I is. I thought so too. You know, what's not graying is going away. So, <laughs> do you still have your ponytail? Absolutely. Oh, there nice. you go. See, traditional uh, coder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't think traditional, do- but um, <laughs> coder nonetheless. <laughs> All right. So cool. So start us out with Garcia. Let's go all the way back to the Garcia days, I guess. I know, I don't think you were involved in the Garcia stuff, but start us way back there and tell us about a little bit about the history of EIGRP, the protocol everybody loves to hate for some reason. I don't know why that is, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I don't know. So, so that, that predates me a little bit. Um, I don't know how much you remember, Russ, but I basically picked up in uh, 1995. So I have uh, a few brain cells that lead back to 1993, which is kind of where um, my awareness of EDGRP started. So I can I can pick you up there, or um, where do you want me to start at? Well, I mean, okay, well, let's let's back up and talk about Garcia just for a second, just so that people get a context. In the early days of networking, a lot of people doing research on different routing protocol, different different ways of finding a loop-free graph. Garcia was one of the people, and he came up with this idea about diffusing update algorithm, which is essentially just a relaxed form of um, – well, it's kind of a relaxed form of Bellman Ford, if you want to know the truth. It's kind of a, you, you actually, when you build your paths, you actually build a second path uh, by relaxing the mechanism which you're using in Bellman Ford to select the shortest path. So that's kind of where it comes from. So then I guess uh, Dino Farinici did the original implementation, or was it Tony Lee? Do you remember, Donnie? Mm, Dino and Bob Albrightson. Okay, Dino so, and Bob Albrightson, which yeah. was broken, which was a broken implementation. And then- <laughs> yeah, so, so, so interesting enough, Bob did um, the implementation of Dual. And, and just to, to back up just a second, one of the interesting things I found is when I came into Cisco and first started getting involved in EIDRP, there was almost a mystique around, you know, uh, around uh, the Dual algorithm, right? And, and a lot of people to this day find it somewhat confusing, but if you boil it down, it comes down to this, Russ, if I can buy it to you cheaper than I can sell it to you, you cannot be in my purchasing path. <laughs> That's it. That's dual. It's the whole thing. If it's cheaper for me to buy it from you than I can sell it to you, you're a loop free. There you go. <laughs> the entire abstract paper document, all the pages boil down to the center. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. a very nice so anyway, summary. <laughs> yeah. So, so that was kind of at the heart of it, right? So, around '93, Dino wrote um, the transport protocol, and Bob wrote Dual, and that started in around '93. Um, the early deployments, um, the early deployments didn't go quite so well, right? Um, there were lots and lots of issues. Um, about the time I came on. Uh, Bob had stepped in and pretty much rewritten transport and implemented threading, 
um, which was a very interesting way of queuing, but queuing in a way that you could remove previously queued and requeue elements as, as information was changing. And, and his work basically made it possible for EDGRP to scale. Right. So, so that all happened around 93, 94 timeframe. I came so aboard around. Didn't he also put in um, the timers, the uh, pacing timers mm -hmm. below T1? Sure yeah. Sure did. And, and EGRP was kind of an answer to IGRP, right? Back, back in that time, IGRP and RIP were kind of the dominant routing protocols in the non-link state world. Um, IGRP was hitting scale limits, right? It was a periodic broadcasting protocol much like RIP is, um, it had a few advantages um, in that it actually keep up, kept up the metrics. So when EDGRP came along, they were looking for something that could take that kind of scale to the next level. One it, was the, also, it was also able to pack multiple, more prefixes into a single update because right. it did that, it, because it used a variable length that basically used a variable length like with a prefix length, which RIP doesn't do, right? That's it right. actually carries the prefix and the subnet mask. And the IGRP actually carries a prefix and a prefix length, and it only carries the significant parts of the prefix. That's right. So you can carry a lot more prefixes. Of course, the downside of that is you can't carry a default route. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but anyway, of, yeah. So, so, so part of the conscious decisions around the design of EDRP was um, to be able to introduce a new routing protocol and get it adopted. Right. So EDRP actually took some what ultimately became some trade-offs. Right. By basically becoming enhanced IGRP. Right. And so a lot of the things they kept in common, a lot of the metrics they kept in common, um, they wanted a little bit larger metric space. Um, so in order to stay compatible, uh, they just did a multiply by eight. Right. Um, few things like that. But but EGRP basically became then a replacement for IGRP where you could drop it into networks and begin replacing. Around 94 time frame, um, EGRP was being deployed in some major customers they were having a lot of issues with this nasty thing called SIE, stuck in actives. Um, and then that kind of leads up to where I came on board in 95. So by 95, Dino had moved on. Bob was still working on the EDGRP and he had a trainee, uh, Mike, you mentioned um, before yeah. the show, Michael Revisa. So Michael was working on EDGRP and Bob was. Well, Bob was in the process of transitioning over to uh, another project at Cisco called Nitro which was our first 1,000 interface box. Big deal back then. Uh, now we have, what, 50,000, 100,000 interfaces? Um, so, ooh, 1,000. So anyway, so Bob was, was drifting out there. We're looking for a victim, I mean, another coder to come on board. Um, so they, I had joined Cisco's routing team as working on this really exciting thing called static routes and rib infra. <laughs> Which exciting. actually turned out to be, yeah, it is exciting, but it turned out to be great background because you ended up it having did. to do a lot of rib work, right? It did. So, <laughs> so yeah, so, so I came on board, joined the team, and I was immediately handed a, 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 a thing called a cap. I thought it was a thing you wore in your head back then, but apparently <laughs> not. It was an invitation to work till 3 a.m. in the morning and begin working again at 6 a.m. in the morning on the same problem. Um, I was looking at an issue, I won't name the customers, but a customer had uh, a transatlantic link they were bringing up between the U.S. and Europe, and they were trying to bring up another one between U.S. and Asia. And it was, every time they'd bring the link up, their entire network would melt. The whole thing would go down. They would get SIEs everywhere, a lot of problems. So I'm working on this bug. I go to Michael. I love to tell this story. It's not flattering to him, but still, I like to tell it. I went to Michael and I said, hey, Michael, um, I just got signed this bug. What do I do? And he, his advice to me was, here, I'll show you where the files are. You can touch anything you want to. Don't touch this file. The name of the file is dual.c. He said, don't touch that file. <laughs> So, you know, you know, to break in a little bit, the tradition continued because when I came on board to do the IGRP, I was told the exact same thing. Don't touch the <laughs> file. Don't touch the file. So, <laughs> touch anything you want to. Don't, Don't touch, touch dual. So, uh, so anyway, so I went off to work on the problem. Um, eventually found that it did turn out to be a bug in dual. It was a very minor 
uh, situation, fix that. Um, so as a reward for fixing that cap case, I was handed two more cap cases. <laughs> uh, all dealing with SIEs, all dealing with really fun stuff that um, really hard to reproduce, um, really upset customers. The, the other interesting thing that was going on, I didn't know about it at the time, was um, Cisco was in the process of trying to decide if they were going to keep or kill EDRP. So in the late 94, early, well, about mid-95, I guess, there was a serious discussion around whether they would end of life EDRP. Um, whether or not me fixing some of the issues or not had anything to do with keeping it or not, or whether people drifted, I don't know. But um, slowly EHRP began to uh, stabilize. We actually got some really good um, deployment, some good scale out of it. But that, that SAE continued to be an ongoing issue. Um, so my first thing I said was, is I'm tired of caps. So I'm going to fix this SIA thing. So I went to I went to Bob, I went to Michael and said, I'm going to fix SIAs. And they said, can't be done. So I went away, looked at it, um, and actually came up with what I think is a pretty decent solution. I ran it by you, Russ. I ran it by uh, Don Slice, yeah. um, <clears throat> which is to introduce effectively a retry operation on the Edger P. So if I query, I don't get a reply. Instead of just declaring the adjacency bad and blowing it away, I'll go ahead and ask again. The huge advantage of this was is now I could push the detection of the problem closer to where the problem actually was. Right. So, so from a timing perspective, what's happening with an SIA is, is that if I'm five hops away from where the failure is, where the actual, I send a query and I send a query and send a query and I'm five hops away in my query range. And then five hops away, there's like this problem that initial timer from the first person who originated the query is like running down, timing down. So what happens is, is five hops away, there's actually a problem, but the SIA happens all the way over here at the origin, five hops away from where the, where the actual problem problem is right. so as, when you're troubleshooting you're sitting there going i'm getting an sia over here but now i've got to chase this chain and figure out what's going on so effectively your fix just went in and said no we're going to chase the chain in the protocol and make the sia or the neighbor reset happen where the problem is rather than like where the timer starts just Dis dislocates the timer from that that's right Don Sleist uh, used to tell a story in the Cisco Live presentations of a case he worked on. Um, a particular bank in New York City, their data center would melt down with an SIA. So he went in, began troubleshooting it. The fun thing about SIAs to troubleshooting is you have to catch them in process. And you literally have to hop router to router to see what each router was and hope that you get to the end of the line before your timer pops and uh, the yeah. entire network melts, right? Yeah, so that he, was the yeah. only valid use for a longer SIA timer, by the way. Yep. You set yep. your SIA timer out to like 10 minutes just so you can actually see it happening and you have enough time to hop. Well, he finally found it, and, and interesting enough, he found it. Um, the, the problem ultimately was in Abu Dhabi. I always love that story because of the name. I think of uh, <laughs> like of all the places in the world to have a problem. It's all but uh, Abu Dhabi. So he found it. It turned out to be a dial-up link on a really nasty uh, circuit, and and he uh, he so he fixed that. And of course, the answer to, to all of that was always to summarize, which is probably one of the inherent powers of entropy is to be able to to collapse lapse uh, routes behind a summary and get those into the core. And, and that is the power of the, of the ability to scale the entropy, right? You can literally, I know, I know customers, I know one customer who had 50,000 routers in a single AS in the entropy, quite stable, worked great. Um, so anyway, so SA rewrite came along. Um, I think that was what, 96 for us, maybe? I th yeah, 97. I think that was 96 or 97. So at that point, I think that the cemented your piece um, continued, you know, role at Cisco. From there, um, Russ, you got me an invite to uh, to Cisco Live, and we yep, went to a box. That's right. Remember the box? Yeah. Yep, that's right. And we got yelled at. <laughs> we did. But you know, it was my very first one, and I'd never been to a birds of the feather, a boff. I really missed those at Cisco. They were great things because you got to come in and sit with the real customer. You weren't sitting in a little cube in the middle of a building somewhere in the world, <laughs> banging on a keyboard. Um, so one of the common complaints was um, there was this new emergency trend in networking of remote offices and extending routing to your remote offices. Um, which, of course, we know today is hub and spoke. 
Yeah. And, oh, people uh, were building huge networks. I mean, I right. remember 1,200, 1,500 remote offices on a single 7,200, not even a VXR or 4,500 uh, NM or whatever that range of router was, something like that. People yeah, were that was around 98, right? Yeah, it was. By 98, it, the, the thing is, is most of the things we take for granted today were really emerging in the, in the late, oops, the late 90s. <laughs> I'm in a room. The light went out. It's a dark time. Tell me something, Donnie. I'll have to slide around and wave. You see me like wave? Not to you guys. Um, we're, we're in the dark ages of 98. Um, so I came back and uh, once again, I, I went to, uh, to Russ and I said, um, I can do this. I can do hub and spoke. And Russ said, no, you can't. You can't be done. So I always love I can't be done. It, it just motivates me to go figure out some way. So I finally come in and I, I presented my idea to Slice and Russ. It was um, here in RTP and building, I want to say building three, when we were down on the bottom floor. And I walk in, I start drawing on the board. Uh, Hardwood Hotel, right? No, not yeah. Hardwood Hotel. Lakeside Lounge, I think it was. Lakeside Lounge, I yeah. think it was Lakeside Lounge. Go ahead, sorry. So so we were done with whiteboard and I came in, I remember it well. I came in, I said, I've got a, I got a solution. I can make this work. And I go and you know and, and Don and uh, and Russ are just looking at me like oh crap here's another lost morning. So I go I draw it out on the whiteboard and and we we argue for long and while and and finally we step back and and I don't remember if it was you Russ or if it was Don but looked at it and said that might work. <laughs> it was probably slice. <laughs> yeah, that might actually work. So as I most often did, I went away, coded it, handed an image to Don, and Don ripped it apart and showed me where all my bugs were, and I fixed them. And um, sure enough, Hub and Spoke came out, and um, it was amazing. And we, and we still argue to this day over whether the whether the configuration should have been done at the spoke. We're at the hub. <laughs> I, I still am a proponent of centralized configuration, right? Do yeah, it on the hub. Um, I think it should have been done on the hub as well, but I think it was yeah. Pepe who said it can't be done on the hub. Uh, well, the, the, the reason the pushback on it was um, FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, right? If we yeah. allow you to configure it on the hub and you fat finger the config, you can bring down 500 spokes. If you do it on a spoke and you fat finger, you only you only mess up one spoke. So there is some there's some you know cautionary stuff there. Meantime right? between mistakes. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, so that that gets us past '98 up into the uh, the early 2000s. Um, by that time, the EHRP team had grown from one me. Uh, from about 95 up until I think around 98, 99, up's pretty much it. I used to love being Cisco Live. I tell people, if you have a bug, I fix it. If you have a bug, I probably caused it. <laughs> but you know, but, but you know well. what people people don't realize is is that that sounds pretty astounding. But in reality, BGP was like Srihari and Bobby or yeah. something. You know, that was pretty much all of the BGP the cutting thing. team. And then there was OSPF, which was pretty much Derek, I think, at the time or something yeah. like that. And That's then right. there was um, ISIS, which was pretty much Hank Schmidt. I mean, that was it. It was like six the whole routing team. <laughs> the entire Cisco world of routing. Uh, the, the other thing that was always fun is uh, back then when I get into arguments, I only had to convince myself. <laughs> It's probably harder than it looks, right? <laughs> yeah, no. I've had some interesting ones. Um, I actually got mad at myself one time, but that's another story for another show. Uh, so 2000 rolls in and uh, the team grows. We added our first Twan. So then it was Donnie and, and, uh, and Twan. Uh, later we added Don. So now there's the Don, Don, Twan show. Um, <laughs> then we brought on, um, so Slice, um, came on and then shark gone. So yeah. Donald, when did you come on? You came on 2002 maybe? Yeah, yeah it was early 2000s. <clears throat> My first routing job. Yeah, so okay. at that point it became the Don 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 Twan Twan show. Yeah. And it's and it's gone downhill since then, hasn't it? Oh, the humor has. Um, <laughs> so so Donald came over from the tools team, believe it or not. He uh, he was kind of bored over there building uh, Cisco's next generation of bad tooling. Um, <laughs> we we left we left the world of CVS and moved over to the world of ClearPane. Um, oh wait, I probably shouldn't disparage companies on this show. Um, 
So anyway, so we uh, we had a whole brand new uh, system. Don Don came on, joined us, and uh, things started really getting interesting at that point. We uh, we started adding in things like IPv6 and and a whole lot of other stuff. Um, now, now, now what's interesting is is IPv6 actually because of the way EIGRP splits transport and dual itself. Running IPv6 was mostly just adding TLVs plus the next top stuff that you had to do and right. some, some modifications in transport to allow it to work over IPv6. But in reality, EIGRP can run IPv6 over an IPv4 transport if you really were crazy enough to do that. There's no oh, yeah. particular reason that you couldn't do that if you wanted to, just the way that the files are split and the, everything works. Well, and in fact, um, if you look at one of the most recent features that came in OTP over the top, it, it literally does that, right? It literally picks one transport and runs your, your protocol over it and then tunnels your, your data paths. So it's right. actually um, some of those strengths came in. So Don, uh, Donald, what was your first feature you worked on? I think it was the, uh, the reworking of VRGRP to, to make it so we had one version across all the branches of iOS. Okay. It might actually be worth talking a little bit about the trains and the yeah. pain. <laughs> the pain. <laughs> yeah. Trains, trains. Um, yeah, I, um, Cisco had this idea that um, we would do a release, basically a branch of code per business unit, um, LOB. I used to call it lots of branches. It was lines of business trains, but I called it lots of branches. Um, yeah, so that was kind of killing us, right? We were spending so much time writing it once and committing it 35 places. Um, Be so, serious, 35, 40 no, places. Yeah, would, I'm absolutely. You would write, all, fix a bug and go and patch it 40 different places and run tests and wow, painful. Yeah, and it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not like maybe you're familiar with your open source community where I just go, okay, well, I'll just do a real quick merge and go home, right? It's no, there's, um, you have to patch it, you have to build the image, you have to do your testing, then you have to give the QA team, the QA team has to do, and then you have to go to the release manager and get approval to commit, and then the release manager does it, and then you have to sh document and show all your testing. It was, it literally, a bug would take weeks to get in. It now, was that. Is this just something that just grew? Like it just, you know, it started as a couple and became 30? Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. look, looking at it from this perspective, yeah. I mean, it looks like an awful idea, right? But, yeah, you know. Well, 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 Jordan, we actually got to this point where they were talking about merging all these branches and they gave us shirts. I remember this shirt. Oh, fancy, and yes. the, and, yeah, And the shirt, the T-shirt had all these trains coming into the middle because they were called trains. And they were like meeting in the middle. We called it the train back shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And by the way, that never worked. Um, they managed to collapse a few. We, we actually had a couple of VPs who come on, who their, 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 their thing they were going to solve was the branching, and they lasted about a year yeah, or two and that. left. Yeah, um, I remember being that. Solved. And the next guy came on, and I'll stop branching. Um, so componentization came on as a way to do code sharing, right? It was basically the idea of modularization. So EIGRP, um, we were literally one of the, we were the first routing protocol to adopt componentization. Um, we came in and we built our Sausage? Components. Sausage predated componentization, right? I, I guess okay. it would be the grandfather, right? So Sausage was the idea that we could add a linker loader into iOS. Um, we actually, within EIGRP, um, played around and actually created a loadable version of EIGRP that you could actually load and unload. We never could get it past marketing because in order to get the linker loader to work, you need the link map. And the link map provided you the symbols and the addresses of all of the nice little points. Oh, that that's right. Yep. And, and marketing already, said. Yeah. We already had JBash giving us intact the uh, decodes with the problems where the crash was. And I think marketing was freaking out already. That, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that people were decoding the code base. And Why would they think about that? I never understood that. Um. I think it goes back to, you know, if you look at that time, the industry was a lot less about sharing code, right? It was really about proprietary. Um, and, and vendors didn't view open source quite in the same way they do today, right? I think if you go back in the 80s and 90s, it was kind of expected that everything was custom. As you move into the 90s and 2000s, it's expected that everything be open source. Well, actually, so, we still have that attitude today. I was just talking to somebody at the ITF who said, oh, yeah, that free range routing stuff, that's a good toy. 
But the reality is it'll never scale to the level of a commercial implementation. There's still this sense that, you know, no, you just so can't do it in open source. I, I, yeah, I agree well, with that. Um, I, I won't show my uh, bias toward the ITF. Um, Russ, you know it well. But yeah. I, I will say back in the early days of EADRP, um, in, the, in the early 90s, EADRP was taken to the ITF and presented um, as a standard. I think it uh, was... I still have the original presentation. I think it was 94. And, and the answer was, we have enough routing protocols. We don't need another one. Thank you. Go away. Yeah. Yeah. And well, so that it, was that was the mid 90s IETF. Today, I think if you brought it, there would be a different different answer. Although no, I, I <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. Babel is working out. So I don't know. I, you know, although I tried to I tried to direct towards a link, uh, a distance vector working group instead of just a protocol specific. But, uh, you know, that yeah. you know that ISIS and OSPF are, are considering merging. Right. You know that they're actually holding joint meetings. Oh, I'm now. sorry. I, I, like <laughs> I, I actually like ISIS, right? I mean, um, it, it's, you know, I, 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 aside from the is-is jokes, um, it, it's actually a good routing protocol. I, I'm not a fan of OSPF. I think OSPF is uh, designed by committee. Sorry, OSPF fans. Um, you can hate me. Send, send hate mail you are, later. You are speaking Russ's language. <laughs> yeah. so, so I actually worked as TME, right, technical marketing engineer for a while for all of the IGPs, for ISIS, OSPF, uh, EDRP, right? So I came to know ISIS and OSPF a lot better than I did maybe back in my developer days. And ISIS is really nice. There's a lot of things I like about it. I, I, uh, I used to say about OSPF, my mama uh, told me not to say four-letter words, so I don't. Um, <laughs> that's enough about that. that. Anyway, I want to step back here for a second. So you took EIGRP to the IETF, and they said, we're not interested. I did is that, not is personally. This well, I mean, me. just generally, yeah. Okay, generally yeah. speaking, it went to the IETF, and so all this flack we've gotten over the years of you know how closed off it is, how it doesn't interop, how it does all. I mean, that's 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 not really you know Cisco that's making that decision. That's that's you know, the, the, the community, right? The community basically rejected the IGRP on the premise that we have two link state protocols already. Nobody, it was the, I remember 94, what's going on in 94? Think, think back in time and what's going on in 94. What's going on in 94 is tag switching, MPLS, traffic engineering. And everybody's primary argument was, well, EIGRP is a distance vector protocol. By the way, this is something that we fought for years to get people to stop calling EIGRP a link state hybrid because it's not a link state hybrid. Um, it was even on, it was on Cisco online. It was everywhere. It was ridiculous how hard we had to fight to get that off. Um, but the entire thing was, well, why would we ever want a distance vector protocol? Why do we care? We already, yeah, we have RIP and we don't really care, right? And part of this just comes down to politics of ITF and certain vendors thinking, well, here's a vendor over here. And the main argument we have, and this is seriously true, the main argument when I have that I go into an account and I'm trying to fight against the vendor that owns EIGRP is that EIGRP is a proprietary protocol. And I want you to get away from proprietary protocols. And besides that, it doesn't do, it won't ever be able to do traffic engineering the way OSPF can or ISIS can. So now you're bringing EDGRP to the ITF and you're going to blow my entire customer facing case up. No, I can't allow you to do that. That's not going to happen. So this is, this is partially politics. This is partially the age it was. It's, it's big traffic engineering. Everybody's concerned about link state. Everybody's enamored of link state. Um, you know, so there's a lot of factors that go into it. But that essentially was the answer the, uh, of the ITF at the time um, was, no, we, we have two link state protocols. We don't need EIGRP. It's a lot of work. We don't have a working group that's going to take it on. And we don't have people interested in working on it. So you know, go away. Pretty so much. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And, and so for the longest time, right. I mean, ESRP, um, continue to grow. I, I think it continue to make advances. Um, if you look with hub and spoke, typically back then routing protocols, OSPF, ESRP were scaling to about what, a hundred, 200 remote sites. Yeah. About it, it was, right? it was pretty tough to get to 200. It was actually really difficult to get to 200. Yeah. Stubs allow us to hit a thousand right out the gate, right? So all of a sudden, you know, SPF is struggling to hit 100, 200, EIGRP busted up to a thousand. Um, 
Then OSPF did some work. I think they're up to around 600 today with, you know, if you're really, really careful. Of course, EHRP is up to four and 5,000 now, yeah. right? So there, there's some inherent strength. I think you fast forward, um, IPv6 came in. Um, we did a whole bunch of work with DMVPN for scaling. We did uh, OTP. OTP is- Actually, um, Donnie, I want to stop you there for a second. Yeah. Because the reality is DMVPN actually comes out of the scaling work that EIGRP did. Absolutely. That, I mean, if there weren't the scale, if EIGRP never would have hit a thousand neighbors, nobody would have thought about this concept of DMVPN. It wouldn't make it wouldn't make sense. Right, it wouldn't have made sense. Right, and so and so that actually is interrelated. So when you get to SD WAN today, in reality, the scaling improvements from EIGRP bleed into DMVPN, which then gave the entire SD WAN market its kick because people started realizing you could actually do this kind of thing, and you know make these variable metrics and stuff, and actually make it scale. There were ways to make this scale. Here's another, here's another thing that you can, you know, uh, again, touting EHRP. I don't want to sound like a fanboy. I am. Um, <laughs> hey, it bought me a house, okay? Um, <laughs> but, but one of the other things is, you know, if I walk around and say, how many routing stacks can you run on a Cisco router, right? I mean, people don't even really think about it. But back in the day, and, and Don, Donald, I don't know if you were around or if this maybe just is really right before you, but the number of routing uh, protocols you could run on a Cisco router was 32 total. Mm -hmm. One of those was static. One of those was BGP. Uh, 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 static now we call SDN. At least some uh, people do. <laughs> okay, I'll show my colors, okay? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so... So verse were coming along, right? So this whole concept of address families and verse, and so OSPF busted out ahead of EDRP because all of a sudden they were offering verse support. Um, but you could only get 28 processes total. So again, I came back and you know, being the guy I am, I said, ah, oh, right, right, right. That's problem. a PDB. That's PDB Overmask you're talking PDB about. Right there. Yeah. That's right. That's where. That's where I ran into it, and I, I emailed Michael Ravitza and said what is this? And Michael said, Oh, you found that. Good luck. That was his entire email. You yeah, found that. So, Good luck. <laughs> so, so PDB overmask is basically this concept that we'll take this thing called a long that's 32 bits and we'll give every routing protocol a bit. So when we tag in the routing table, who the route belongs to, we'll just set a bit. And when you're doing redistribution and you're redistributing other protocols, you can get a mask that lets you look at the bits you're interested. So if a route comes in, you can take your PDB overmask bit, apply it to the owner field, and if the bit is true, you're interested to redistribute it. If not, you don't care who the route came from. And remembering that this is back in the day when we were still running risk processors and we were running very small processors, small amount of code or small amount right. of memory. So these types of optimizations, we look at them today and go, what were you thinking? And actually what they were thinking was when they wrote this was, I need a very, very, very quick, cheap way to compare when I'm doing redistribution. I cannot spend processing cycles doing all this, you know, kind of bumping through an if then list or something like that. I've got to be very quick and I've got to use a minimal amount of memory. So this is actually an optimization. It wasn't a negative thing when it was put in. It became a negative thing later. So, so one of the things that was obvious is, and I think Pepe was here and, and he wanted us to do VERF support in EHRP and I looked at it and, and I said, well, this doesn't really make sense to only do 28. So it dawned on me that I can actually take advantage of that, of the PDB over mask and, and the PDB bits, because I realized that, the, that those bits were unique to the routing table that they were in. They were not system unique. So they weren't global to the system. That meant within any verf, you could have 28 protocols that you were interested in. So I capitalized on that and I came out and, and I basically put EHRP out and, and all of a sudden EHRP wasn't limited to, you know, 28 uh, verfs. It could do thousands of verfs. It really was unlimited, right? Um, and so it was very interesting because the OSPF guys, ISI guys, guys came back and said that won't work. And I said, we're shipping it already. <laughs> Customers are using it already. Um, so there was a big brouhaha within the routing community inside Cisco because all of a sudden EHRP was blowing everybody out the door in terms of the number of routes. So um, they actually went and reverse engineered what I did. Why they didn't come talk to me, 
uh, I don't know, but they reverse engineered it. Um, so, so that's an interesting story. So if you're looking and you've got like lots and lots and lots of routing processes, lots of verts on your router, you can thank the work done in the Edger P. And, and I'll say this, and again, my ATF friends send hate mail, um, but I will say that part of the reasons that a lot of the successes, a lot of the things that were able to be done in the Edger P is because it was not in ATF. You literally only needed to convince three guys during, well, and then by Donald, when you came on board, it was about four of us. You really only needed to convince four people that a feature was a good idea. It, well, it took convincing the product manager to ship it as well, which was often the hardest part. I remember going through this all the time, right? Where yeah. we would actually play games to try to get things past the product manager, like go to a customer and say, you really want this feature. What do we want this for? I, I, trust me, you want this feature. <laughs> well, and, and that fast forwards us up to componentization. So by the time Donald comes through, Donald basically is instrumental in getting us into a componentized eotropy. Um, and that allowed us to do things that today would get you shot inside Cisco, which is we could create a feature, we could hide the feature inside of EDRP, and the component, we could publish it all these branches and then tell the customers at Cisco Life that the feature exists, and then the PM, product manager, would come in and go, what's this about this feature that people are talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we kind of added, um, you know, we kind of rewrote the summarization code, so now instead of the router boot in 35 minutes, it boots in three minutes. Uh, sorry we didn't tell you about that. <laughs> and then they would go, well, customers love it. Keep doing that stuff. But tell me next time. But <laughs> if tell I tell me you, you won't let me do it. If you That's tell me right. what you want me to do is working on bugs. Um, so, yeah, so, so that brings us in. Then um, Donald probably has more history around the pains of componentization. So I well, I'm not sure there's really much him. to say. It was painful. <laughs> and it was it was less of a programming chore and more of a uh, like you said a a, a, a pol political game of getting people to agree to do what you wanted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so if you if you take away a bad taste of the ITF about this, you should really think that this is just people, right? This was yeah. this was a problem inside Cisco as well. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's unfortunate that uh, even in the technical world, good ideas don't always get surfaced. They sometimes get slammed because, well, this vendor wants to do this and that vendor wants to do that, or this PM over on this product line doesn't want to mess with that. His customers don't don't need it, and so his customers don't get it. So so therefore you have to have all these branches, all this weird stuff goes on. It's kind of like, yeah, whatever, yeah. you know. The, the other thing, and I think Donald, Donald, you may have worked on this where you were definitely, you know, contributing during this time. But I, I remember when FRR, fast reroute, became all the rage within the ITF community. And, and I, I really upset one of my colleagues when I was in California one day and uh, they were bragging about subsecond convergence on OSPF. And I went like, yeah, well, we do that. We've done that <laughs> since the 90s, right? And, and I used to joke with them all the time. It's like, yeah, P was, was uh, doing fast uh, FRR before FRR was cool. Yeah, and to this day, there is still an argument about this, about whether fast reroute is the same. But the difference between LFA and a feasible successor in EIGRP, to this day, there are still arguments about this, well, this situation. Yeah. Because if they are the same, then, um, well, it took you 10 years to catch on. If they're not the same, then you're, you're novel and unique and awesome. So sorry if this is sounding a little bit like OSPF bashing, but, but this is a little bit of the fun culture. I mean, I say this stuff, it's all really in humor, because th there was this kind of competitiveness between the teams, right? But it was a good kind. It's not yeah. like today's world yeah. where, you know, I disagree with you, so I hate you. It was like I, it was fun, right? There was banter, it was enjoyment. We actually picked up ideas from each other, leveraged ideas from each other, um, well, communities in communities in uh, EIGRP, right? Basically Absolutely. came from, from BGP. BGP. Because the problem was we had all these customers using all these strange tags to do redistribution and stuff. And by the way, the, the automatic redistribution between IGRP and EIGRP was a bad idea. I don't know if Bob did that or Dino did that, but that was a bad idea. Hey, Rush. <laughs> Speaking of bad ideas, how's that admin distance working out on a <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. 
Yeah. How's that working out, dude? Now that's uh, that's uh, Russ talked me into doing that of her better judgment. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, no. Um, a lot of the protocols back in those days were, um, you know, address families in the entropy came directly from B2P address families, right? Birth support. Um, so there was a lot of sharing of ideas, um, a lot of banter, but very good, very positive. A lot of competitive, but it was very positive competitiveness between OSBF, ISIS, and the entropy. Um, so yeah, th- there was a lot of good stuff going on during that time. Actually, even between vendors. I mean, a, a good way to get a feature in was to say Juniper was going to do it. Yeah, well, that was by the time Juniper came on board, right? I mean, yeah. uh, for the longest yeah. time, it was um, really you you almost competed against yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but you know, Entropy didn't have it. You know, it had its hiccups along the way. I mean, we don't want to color it as um, as without its own uh, interesting choices, right? I mean, when we came out with the address family, uh, we didn't put the autonomous system on the address family line. We put it under the address family mode, and so we continually confuse customers all the time about, hey, I put this address family in, it's not working. What's your AS? Well, it's the Entropy AS5. Yeah, but what's the address family AS? I just told you. <laughs> like, no, 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 dude. You got to put the, what do you mean I got to put the AS under, yeah, anyway. So uh, that turned into being, uh, so we, we later fixed that. So, but what's interesting to me about EHERP is that it is so, I mean, that the entire feasible successor idea basically comes back out as an LFA later on. The DMVPN stuff, which leads to SD-WAN, is kind of there in the original scaling work. Um, the redistribution stuff, a lot of the stuff around redistribution and tagging and stuff like that came out of EIGRP and work with EIGRP. So, there's a lot of really cool things that came out of EIGRP's work, even though it's not used as commonly today. And I actually think that, uh, you know, if I were to go to do a greenfield in a data center and I didn't need the full topology for some reason, if I actually didn't have traffic engineering requirements that led me to a link state protocol, I actually think he had is a perfectly reasonable alternative in those situations. Um, but, you know, we just don't seem to go to it as a go-to protocol anymore. We just don't even think about it. It's like you're either going to use ISIS or OSPF and that's kind of your only options on the table. In which case, well, for me, it's only one, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, but part of that is, part of that's going back to the world's change, right? I mean, the, the idea of open source, the idea of shared is, is critical today, right? Yeah. Um, and, and to some extent, right, that influenced Cisco in, in 2013 when we actually brought, um, I think it was 2013, um, we actually announced that we we're taking EDRP as an open source. The community's reaction, or not, sorry, not open source, but as a, a to the ITF, right? We were only able to get it in as an informational draft. It took um, from 2013 to, when did RFC um, 7868 actually come out? Uh, Was that last year? Yeah, I think it was last year, right? I think it was last year and it's still an informational, it's still an experimental, yeah. Yeah, and- But but four years is actually fast. Yeah, but four years is actually fast. That's because nobody nobody cared, right? Yeah. No, well, I mean, I was just looking at the BGP um, I, uh, drafts the other day because uh, we did a show with Tony Lee on BGP, and I didn't realize how long it took for BGP4 to be standardized. I mean, it was like a matter of six or eight years. It was crazy how long that took. Yeah, but how long did it take to get stub standardized? Yeah, that's Three true. Months. I mean. Yeah, three months. We went yeah. from idea to shipping product in three months. Right, right. But but that's a matter of there was only how many of us involved, right? Four people, five people, whatever it yeah. was. And, you know, and once Slice tears it apart, you're, you're pretty confident that it's actually going to work because that's one thing that he's very good at. He's very good yeah, at finding think, bugs. <laughs> I, think, I think Don I think Don and uh, Donald both got really tired because one of the things I used to do is um, I'd come up, I'd walk in their office and go, I have an idea. And they go, oh, God. (laughs) And and Slice used to say, occasionally they work out. (laughs) And poor Donald would walk in and go, okay, this means Donnie's going to hand me 50,000 lines of code to review. (laughs) I'm not getting anything done this week. And then he would rip it apart. I think the the, the big one after DMV and PN, the next big one was SAF, right? Yeah. uh, That was the next big thing that we, we did. I'm not sure that that's well known, though. Yeah, so services, um, yeah, so, so, so that's another interesting thing, right? EDRP, I think it was a little early to the game, right? There was this concept of, um, again, this is, we're talking six, seven years ago now, 
but there was this concept that the network was knowledgeable and that, that knowledge within the network should be, you shouldn't have to pre-configure it, right? If I want a router, I shouldn't have to configure ahead of time to find the router. So there was this work going on with different teams around how do we have a smarter network, right? And so Donald, um, I think you were instrumental in a lot of that work to come in and say, you know what, EnergyRP doesn't really carry uh, care what it carries, right? And that we can have it carry services just as easy it carries routes. And um, so Donald did a lot of work in that arena. Um, we come out with service families. Um, but I think, again, I think we're a little ahead of the game, right? I mean, a DMVPN to this day uses um, some of SAF under the covers to transport knowledge of exit points within the network, kind of as an overlay to the network. Um, but, you know, today we don't think anything about having services freely advertised within the network and, and systems that can discover and find. And the whole idea of autoconf and stuff like that, it's where nodes come and they enter the network and they glean knowledge from the network and they know their place in the world. All of that stuff is kind of mainstreaming today. But when SAF was done, you know, what, what, Donald, eight years ago, seven years ago? It was probably eight years now, eight or nine. Yeah. So. So what's interesting, though, is that you go back in EIGRP's history, and when EIGRP was first written, it was a multi-protocol routing protocol, which right. people don't even know what that means nowadays. But there was Novell, and there was IPX RIP, and then there was Banyan Vines, and there was VIP, and there was VIP RIP. And EIGRP was one, and, and actually, we even had ISO IGRIP, right? We even had the ability to carry ISO uh, DECnet Phase 5 in IGRP. Uh, I think it was actually Phase 4. It wasn't Phase 5, but anyway something like that, somewhere in that range. And so EIGRP was able to do all of this. This is why there was the split between the, the dual engine itself and the transport protocol, because you want to be able to switch either out at will, because you want to be able to carry IPX over an IPv4 network for whatever reason. And going back to services, IPX had that concept of services just as Banyan Vines did, just as VIP did. So I think EIGRP had that built in to take care of the entire IPX situation. And then when it resurfaced again, because of the structure of EIGRP, Donald could actually do that work of making it carry services again. Um, whereas with something like OSPF, it means a restructure. I mean, you physically, you can't do this in OSPF well, without OSPF rethinking OSPF it. OSPF V6 versus OSPF V4, the only thing they, care, they share in common is OSPF. <laughs> Which, by the way, quite entertaining. Someone walked up to me at the last IETF and said, there's a movement afoot now you should know about to push IPv6 into OSPF v, into OSPF v2 to make it a dual, a dual stack protocol. Because you already can do IPv4 and OSPF v3, right? So why not do IPv6 and OSPF v2? Um, and then, of course, you know, all the work going on in OSPF v3 right now to TLV it, to make it more like ISIS, to move to, to replace all the LSAs with TLV-based LSAs. And so the, the problem with this kind of thing is it's a great idea, and it's all great ideas, and it's good work to do. But you're making the protocol more complex. And at some point, the protocol becomes complex enough that nobody knows anything about how it works anymore. It's just all like this big mess of stuff in there and it's very difficult you know, to figure out yeah and that was one of the powers of eidrp right is to get an eidrp network up and running i type router eidrp 4473 return network 000 return i'm done yeah yeah i go done. home i have lunch with the wife i have dinner with the kids i mean whatever right i mean i'm done um now that that simplicity led to at times, many oh, problems yes. down the road. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. EIGRP became, became known as the protocol. You throw it on any network you want to, and it just works, except when it doesn't. Except when it doesn't. <laughs> and, and often when it doesn't is when you've got, you know, you've got, you know, 20,000 routers sitting out there coming on quite happily, and you add the 20,000 and first in your network yep. nodes. Yeah. And you go, what happened? Um, so, so that, you know, the fact that you didn't have to design your network to run EIGRP was both a strength and a weakness because it allowed you not to design your network before you implement it. And as your, as companies grew and networks grew, this became, uh, you know, it, it became an issue sometimes. Now, summarization quite often helps you fix that. 
Um, you know, again, we, you know, Donald, myself, Don Slice, uh, we, we actually at times went into customers' networks and, and to the point, to that point, we actually thought about some other features on EHRP like auto summarization. Now, not auto summary classful like EHRP has today, but, but a more intelligent version where it looked at the networks around and said, oh, I can actually summarize this for you. Yeah. And you can get scaling again, um, putting some intelligence in the routing protocol to make some of these decisions. Which shows up again in BGP, which people don't realize. Yeah. But there's a movement afoot, you know, and BGP has been for years, which has never gone anywhere, to actually auto summarize at the NRAS boundary, um, mm -hmm. not on the class full bound, but to be able to say, I have 15 routes that all go to the same next hop. By the way, they all fit under a slash 64 in, in V6 or a slash 120, you know, whatever, slash 60 or whatever. Why am I advertising? all these routes it doesn't make any sense just advertise the shorter prefix and be done with this yeah. and so and, you know and there's a lot there's things that EHRP can learn from OSPF right I mean OSPF is awesome at full mesh EHRP is horrible at full mesh um, and part of it is you know because you know who your adjacency is right you you know the you know the neighbor you know what the neighbor knows and so there's things that we can do in EHRP and, and I actually argue with program managers quite often um, to let us do which is to fix the full mesh problem in Azure P. It's not that hard of a problem to solve. But when you're talking to a program manager who wants you to scale to 2,500 adjacencies because he's got a customer that's trying to deploy, um, it's a hard argument to make that you go fix a full mesh, which not not very many people do in an EHRP world anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, then now now we come down to the beauty of the open source implementations, right? Because there is actually is an open source implementation of EHRP now that y'all were talking about before the show doing some fixes on. But and I'm not sure it's totally there that you would want to deploy it today. No, oh, Donald's not. like Donald's no. like going screaming, running from the <laughs> no, room. <please> don't. <laughs> but but at least it's in progress. And once that's done, then people can actually start adding these type of fixes and making EHRP scale just like we're doing with BGP in free range routing and just like we're doing a lot of work in ISIS and free range routing right now. And we all look at each other when somebody brings up an OSPF bug and goes, what is OSPF? <laughs> yeah, Donald, Donald's pulling me into free range routing. Um, I've actually started getting involved. Um, it's been kind of fun, right? I've been out of coding for a while. And so, um, I'm actually getting, I've pulled the code, I've started playing around with it. Um, I'm looking forward, number one, getting it up to speed, making it, a, making it actually an enterprise ready protocol within FR. The other thing that I'm excited about is I had so many ideas that I wanted to implement in the Edger I'm sure Slice is somewhere watching this video at some point going, oh my God. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so so I would love to. There's there were things that I wanted to do with EDRP. I just never really got a chance to do from the constraints of of a business world, right? And so I'm really looking forward to joining Donald and and contributing and and getting involved. So I'm I'm kind of excited. So oh, cool. That's nice. great. So Jordan, any questions? No, I think I think we've covered. <laughs> just about everything, man. That's uh, <laughs> no. There were some interesting things in there. I'm just, you know, the I, I think the IETF thing is the one that stood out to me the most. I'm, you know, I so much bashing for being closed and, and not willing to be open and it's proprietary and it's Cisco's thing that they're holding on to. Just doesn't seem to be the case. Well, I mean, let's be fair, right? I mean, um, it, it was the case, right? I mean, it was taken to ATF. ATF refused it. it you know, Cisco said, okay, well, we're Cisco. We'll do what we want to do. Um, fast forward, EHRP got a lot of successes. And then once, once people woke up and said, holy crap, I can actually use this. This is a good thing. I'm doing business. 50% <laughs> of the enterprise customer base is running this, right? Then it became like, okay, well, open it up. And Cisco was like, well, why should I? Yeah, now it's competitive advantage. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, I mean, the, the environment did change. We did take it back. Um, I remember um, when we first tried to do the draft, it was a bit of a challenge. It went through two or three routing chairmen at the IETF before we could even get them to even entertain yeah, and, an information in fact, draft. In fact, in fact uh, some, some, some of the routing area directors got mad at me for, for, for being listed as a, as a co-author on that, Donnie. 
Well, it, it, I will say that if it hadn't been for Alvaro Rotana and yourself, I don't yeah. think you would have an RFC today. No, no, you um, probably wouldn't. You probably right. wouldn't. But Al, but Alvaro got mad at me because the reality is, is very few people could actually review that draft. And once I became a co-author, nobody would pay attention to my review. Purely, purely a, a procedural issue. We hit this all the time in the ITF. We hit it with Babel. We hit it with a lot of other things that in reality, the way the ITF works is you need a community. You need more than one person, more than, more than five or 10 people working on something. And when you're only valid or you're the only person in the community that someone will listen to as a reviewer becomes a co-author, it becomes an issue from a process perspective. How do you actually now manage this? What do you do with this? And so it's a, you know. Well, I have to say, right, I mean, Peter Pollack um, stepped up as one of the authors. I mean, he's a well-respected. Um, yeah, Peter, Peter's really good. Yeah. Yeah. He's both respected in the injured, in, in the, in the routing community at large. He also was very knowledgeable. Professor, um, University of, uh, forgive me, I think it's Xylanta. Maybe I pronounced it wrong. But anyway, so Peter Pollack um, stepped up, did, um, huge contributions to, to cleaning up and making a really nice draft. Um, you know, a matter of fact, he, he rewrote so many sections that by the time that we did the RFC, uh, I couldn't help but not put him on as a co-author. I mean, he contributed that heavily to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if it, I'll say if it wasn't for Alvaro's work and then Russ, you, you jumping on as well, you would not have EDRP as an open source project today because it would never have made it through the ITF. And sorry, ITF, but I think that's sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, and part of the thing you got to realize here, Jordan, is that there is IPR, there's intellectual property rights around EIGRP. Mm-hmm. And the way Cisco and most other companies work, including LinkedIn and Juniper and all the big companies work this way, is if there's not a draft out there to attach the, the IPR to, if there's not some, you just can't release IPR to the public open source community within, within a company. It's just not, there's no mechanism for doing this in most companies. You just can't say, oh, we're just going to look at this open source project. That's really cool. We're just going to release this to the community. There are some companies that have that kind of process. I mean, LinkedIn did that with Kafka and, you know, OpenR, and there's some other places where companies have done that. But by and large, it's very difficult to do this. But if a draft is accepted in the ITF, that means there's a community that's interested. That's the way the company sees it. There's a community interested in working on this technology. And then it becomes a tit for tat thing. I can release this IPR, which then provides me defensive work against other people suing me for IPR disclosure or IPR. PR problems when I implement products that they've come up with. So the draft becomes instrumental in getting the open source piece to work just because of the intellectual property rights piece of it. So even though it's informational, if it weren't for that informational draft, there would be no open source implementation of EIGRP today because the IPR would still be there and there would be no way, there would be no instrument by which Cisco would release it. Cisco opened up 22 some odd patents when they, you know, when we went and did the, the draft ITF, right? I, I think, yeah. um, and, and some of those are covering things that are probably not yet realized. Like there are patents open up around SAF, around service advertisement, right? There are definitely patents open up around EIGRP scaling and ability to scale and, and some of those things. So there, there's a lot, you know, it, it was a lot of information and that led to Peters, uh, who was a professor at college, getting some of his students to do the, I, literally what was the first open source implementation of EIGRP. Um, then later there was a BG, uh, sorry, a BFD implementation um, that was done. I'm not sure of the status of it these it's, days. It's still going fine. Um, yeah. A guy named Renato, Westfall yeah. wrote it and uh, really knowledgeable guy, really smart guy. Um, yeah. And he still supports it and it's still out there. People are using it. Yeah. So, so Donald, I think you picked up Peter's early work, right? And brought it in. That's exactly what we did. I, uh, I, I grabbed it and worked with, uh, I think one of the main guys was Jan Janovich. Yeah. Yeah. And I uh, worked with him a little bit and was able to get into free range on him. So that's cool. Yeah, and yeah. So. All right, cool. So any other questions, Donald? Any other thing to say here, Donnie, before we close off recording and uh, call it a history of, call it history? 
the history. Wow, the history of really, the history. <laughs> yeah, this has brought up some really good memories. Um, yeah. It's, you yeah. know, I, I spent, uh, what, 20, 22, 23 years in routing, right? And most of that was with EHRP. Worked some really smart guys on the OSPF team, um, ISIS team. I, you know, at some level, routing is almost a commodity these days. And I've, I don't see as much innovation going into routing that there used to be because people have the attitude that, well, routing's done. So I'm really excited <laughs> that, that, you know, FRR. Just, just say that to Tony Lee once. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, right? I mean. I know, I know, I know. I completely agree. It's completely yeah. wrong. Routing is not done. But, you know, there's, there's the attitude out there. Yeah, but, you know, with projects, and, and again, not I don't intend this as a plug, but with projects like Free Range Routing coming along, I, I think it offers an avenue to, to innovate that's just not available today. And so at least that's what I hope, because I do want to get involved. I do want to contribute. And there are some things that I've long over the years wanted to do slash fix. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Cool. Excellent. All right. Well, I guess we'll call it a wrap, Jordan, and uh, we'll see everybody on the next History of Networking broadcast. Thanks, Donnie. Thanks, yeah. Donnie. IETF hate mail, OSPF hate mail goes to Russ. <laughs> <laughs> Auto forwarded. <laughs> <laughs>